What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode number 23. My name is James Scully. Today on Breaking Walls, I have a conversation with a man who's currently living in Thailand. Our topic for discussion today is emigrating to a foreign country in the 21st century and ways that you can get started. Our interviewee is a man by the name of Ian Russell, who in 2008 left New York City and took what he thought would be a three-month vacation in Bangkok, and it turns out he has been living there since. And we're going to get into the things that drove him to take this chance and everything that's kept him moving forward and staying in Thailand since. We also talk about things like when you go to a foreign country, what are the cultural differences? What is it like living in the kind of country where you stand out because you look quite different from the normal, everyday person who lives there? What is it like living in a country where you don't speak the same native language as the majority of the people living there? Before I go on, as I always say, you can get these podcasts by going to soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers. If you follow us on SoundCloud, then anytime we release a podcast, and these will be coming to you three times a month from now on, the 1st, the 10th, and the 20th of each month, if you sign into SoundCloud and we have recently released a track, you will see it show up in your default SoundCloud feed. You can also get these podcasts by going to iTunes and searching for The Wall Breakers on iTunes. That is T-H-E-W-A-L-L-B-R-E-A-K-E-R-S. You can subscribe there. Then anytime we release a podcast, like I said a moment ago, three times a month, It'll be automatically downloaded to whatever your device is that you have podcasts being played from through iTunes. So that be on your mobile or tablet device, the actual podcast app, and on your PC, Apple's iTunes. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I actually live in the southernmost point of Brooklyn along the water, and I can feel fall approaching. The days are getting shorter. The air is starting to get a little bit cooler even though the sun is still warm. The weather has actually been beautiful all month in September here and going back for most of the summer. We've had a pretty good summer of weather in New York, but I can tell you that I am looking forward to the fall because it's natural progression for me personally to want to have seasons change. Our topic this month on The Wall Breakers is learning and change. That comes from back to school happening in September and the change of seasons. Fall brings things out of us that are a little bit different from the summer. We want to do things like go apple picking. We want to do things like have potluck parties. We want to make sure that we get as much daylight in as possible before the days get annoyingly short. We're starting to gear up for the holidays with Thanksgiving coming, with Halloween before that. With all of those fun things that we love to do, I think if you look back to being a kid in school, fall was one of the most fun times that you could be in school because it takes you straight through the holiday season. I bring this point up because Ian is working as a teacher in Thailand where he teaches quote-unquote English to three- and four-year-olds. And I said quote-unquote because he'll talk about while he is teaching English, he is also teaching life skills to kids and people that are young enough to absorb everything around them in a positive way. This is a very strong interview. And it's not surprising to me, knowing that Ian is a big basketball fan, 
and that his episode, number 23, would be the one that Michael Jordan made famous all those years, beating my New York Knicks in the playoffs en route to winning six titles in his last six full seasons with the Chicago Bulls. Jordan knew something about learning and change. He had to adapt as his body aged. He had to develop new skills. He had to learn to coexist with teammates and bring out the best in them. Ian is doing something similar with kids that are at such a formative age that any kind of positive influence on their life can be multiplied tenfold as they get older. It's important for all of us to instill that base level of confidence, that base level of our ability to be vulnerable, because once we do that, we can connect with other people. He's living in a foreign country, Ian, and he connects with people who barely speak the same language as him, as he is not, to this day, quite fluent in Thai, although he can carry on a conversation. And English, being the kind of language that is so world-renowned, he can also have conversations in English with a lot of people in Thailand. But it's that human connection, whether or not you speak the same language with somebody or not, by reading facial expressions, by smiling, we realize that we all want similar things in life. It's just a matter of how we approach them and how we can go get them. So I'd like you to keep it right here for an excellent interview with Philadelphia-born, brooklyn college and Bangkok-residing Ian Russell. Stay tuned right after this brief pause. Thank you. What's up, guys? Back on Breaking Walls, and my guest today is Ian Russell, who is a graduate of Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York. He was an illustration major who, in 2008, left not only New York, but America to go to Thailand with his then-girlfriend and is now teaching in Thailand and has been living there since 2008. I wanted to speak with Ian about the logistics of getting himself set up in Thailand, all the things that went into living in Bangkok, and how his life is different now that he's been living there since 2008 as compared to previous or if he was still living in Philadelphia where he's from or Brooklyn. So welcome, Ian, to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks, Shane, for having me. I remember when you went to Thailand in 2008. Now, I should mention to people that you and I are friends from college. We right. had a lot of class overlap and we ran with a similar circle of friends who were all good creative people and people who are bringing great things to this world. But so you left in 2008 with your then-girlfriend, Maki, who we'll give a quick shout-out to right at this moment. What's up, Maki? What drove you to go to Thailand? I, kn I know that Maki was going and you went with her, but you could have said, like, nah, I'm good. I'm just going to hang out back here. You know, you go do what you need to do. You could have said, I, I don't want to do this, but you didn't say that. You did go. What did you weigh well, out when you decided that? Really, the opportunity to come here after graduation was – it was supposed to be kind of a getaway before jumping into a career that I felt prepared for. And so my first uh, move was actually just to get out of New York and explore the world a little bit before making a move back. I knew that if I didn't do it, it really wasn't going to be an opportunity that I could create for myself again. So I, I, I felt like it was one of those times in life where I had to take the, the chance that was in front of me in order to 
to gain something that I, I might not have otherwise been able to uh, grasp. Now, can you talk to me about that for a second? Because what you're basically saying is that I think internally we all understand when there's an opportunity that comes along that we might not have again. And that usually is accompanied by, at least in our fear-based mind, the biggest risks. Moving to a country doesn't speak English as its main language, a culture mm-hmm. that you know nothing about, that could be cripplingly scary. But you also know, like you just said, okay, I'm going to learn something about myself that I didn't know. So can yeah. you talk to me about how you weigh something like that out when you make that decision? I knew that every time that I had taken myself out of my comfort zone, I, I always gained from it. I always became better for it. I always learned something from it. So at this point, it was basically like, leave the job that I was at that I really liked and I had been progressing well at, which was working in a clothing store, but I really enjoyed just talking to the people and stuff that would come into the place. And I decided to to leave that in order to go on this trip for three months. Now, I had been to Thailand and Bangkok the year before, and I will say that it very much helped that I was familiar with Maki's family and I was familiar with, you know, a bit of a bit of the culture. So... I knew that people here were friendly. I knew that the the culture was uh, overall accepting and that I would be able to enjoy myself here. But that was my main goal. It wasn't really to, um, it wasn't to make a big life change or to make a big move. It was just like, let's go spend some time with uh, the family and uh, take it from there. And it turned into something that I could have never imagined. You didn't have every moment of the next five years mapped out and this was, I was go- I'm going to go to Thailand and I'm going to do, you said, oh, no, let's go not- see what happens. I trust myself to know that Ian in three months, who has a decision to make, will know what to do at that moment. Well, it was a funny turn of events because when I got here, basically, like I said, I was, I was on vacation, you know, I was trying to uh, just enjoy myself and, and try and live out a little bit before I moved back to New York and started a freelancing or whatever it might be. And I knew that that was going to be one of the toughest things that I would ever have to come across. That was what I was prepared for. Uh, what I wasn't prepared for was my hard drive crashing a couple months after I moved here, losing all of my senior senior work, all my uh, books that I had written, and uh, all my portfolio. So it was really like, okay, well, if I go back, I'm going to have to re-prepare. And I was prepared to do that, but then... Uh, the, the option came to stick around for a little bit longer. Um, and I said, okay, well, you know, I'm open to that and the, op- the opportunity is there, so why not take it? Uh, when I got the chance to work at a school, what was offered to me was teaching three-year-olds, which I had had experience with working with children and I knew I enjoyed that. So I said, okay, well, this is something else that I, in life that I enjoy working with people, working with kids. Why not, you know, test my hand and see, see how it works out? Can you talk to me about what that process is like? Okay, you mentioned to me you met your boss in a coffee shop. Maki's brothers hooked you up with the meeting. He offered you the job. You took it. But you're not from Thailand. You're not a naturalized citizen. So what are the logistics that go into you being able to keep that job? Do they have to sponsor you? Do you have to fill out yearly paperwork? Well, the the school that I'm at, I'm lucky enough that well, basically, I could say I fell into the job and it, it, it worked out like a dream because I called the school. They, they hooked me up with the person who does the hiring, sent him my, my resume and met him for an interview. 
And pretty much right away, he, he said, okay, well, this seems like it'll work out. So would you like the job? Would you like to sign a contract? I said, of course. So he said, okay, what we're going to need from you are your transcripts from school. Uh, we're going to need uh, basically an FBI background check to make sure you're not a criminal. And a couple other things for work permit and, uh, and the visa. So those are the two things that you need working in Thailand are a work permit and a visa as a non-immigrant saying that you're living here to work. I could tell you, like, when, when I, f my first inclination was like, okay, that'll be easy. It was easy enough to get uh, my transcripts and stuff from school. The FBI thing was a little bit tougher because I had to go to a police station here, get my fingerprints, send it to the FBI. I, had, I sent them a check. They didn't take checks. So about a few days before I was supposed to start my job, I still hadn't received this background check to prove that I'm not a criminal. So I messaged the guy and he said, don't worry about it. Just show up. They'll, they'll handle it. I gave them all my paperwork and they were able to bring it into the immigration office and it seemed to everything was okay. So uh, the only thing that I had to do was leave the country in order to extend my visa, basically get a new visa. In Thailand is actually more lenient than most countries. It's kind of a, on arrival. So you can leave and come back. And now that was seven years ago. Some of the rules have changed, but uh, it still is rather lenient. So are you reapplying for a visa once a year or something like that? Technically, I am, but really the school handles all the, pap the paperwork. Now, right. like I said, I'm pretty lucky in that aspect because there are other schools that kind of say like, okay, you got to go, you got to handle all this stuff. And my school takes all that paperwork in for me and makes sure that it's all smooth so that they don't have an issue with the people that they're bringing in to hire. I think it works out well because it makes people more comfortable with the school, they feel that they can trust them a bit more with, you know, handling their, their livelihood, you know, you know, being in a whole, whole different country, there's enough to worry about, uh, let alone whether you can actually stay there or not, or where you're going to get kicked out or banned from the country, because those are very real possibilities if you default on your visa or if you overstay your visa, things like that. Right. But it also, like you're saying, makes sense and behooves the company or the school that you're working for to help mm -hmm. you out if they think that you're a valuable employee. And also right. I would imagine that they as an institution have more clout than you as an individual in terms of getting paperwork pushed through and things like that. Yeah, they wanna make sure that the, uh, the people that they're employing have the comfort level with the school that can say like, okay, I can trust that the school will make sure that I'm able to live here without any complications and things like that. Moving this far is, is a big move for a lot of people, you know, I've worked with people here that have never even been on an airplane except for coming to Thailand. So, you know, they're not exactly sure who they're going to get detail wise. You know, it can be people that have, they come from small towns, people that come from big cities. So they're not really sure what the experience level is going to be and making sure that the things that are basic are taken care of, such as housing and stuff like that. They, they cover all that stuff so that when you land here, it's not a complete culture shock. Well, talk to me about that culture shock, actually. You are six foot three, give or take, blonde hair, blue-eyed. <laughs> blonde hair. Giving me a little credit, yeah. A tall, white, fair, in male individual yeah, living in I'm Thailand. Yeah, pretty much a standard white guy. Yeah, okay, so do you stick out like a, a sore thumb, or not a sore thumb, like a blonde hair, blue-eyed thumb in Thailand? And what, <laughs> what was that like, you know? As somebody who comes from Philly, the East Coast of America is a very diverse place in terms of right. 
people of different skin tones, different racial backgrounds, different religious backgrounds. It's it, people just fit in. Moving here after living in Philadelphia and, and Brooklyn to where, you know, not only is there lots of other white people, but then, you know, there's, there's also a level of, uh, you know, you're not, you're not the only one. You're not, I'm not special if I'm walking down the street in America, right. you know, yeah. uh, over here, it's like people see me and especially my area. Now I don't, I live in the city, but I'm still close to the fringe. So downtown, you know, they have a word for foreigners here. It's called Falang. And um, it basically just means foreigner, white foreigner. Uh, and it's not, it's not a derogatory term, um, but it is something that like, if you're, you'll be at the supermarket and somebody will just say like, oh, falang, da 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 da. And you, you know, you can hear it even if you don't speak the language, you'll say like, oh, okay, they're talking about me. And generally speaking, they're just kind of noticing that you're there. The other thing that they like to do is say hello and smile, you know? So it's like, that was actually one of the biggest things that I had dealing with coming to Thailand and also going back to America. Coming to Thailand because I was coming from Brooklyn where, they, you know, living in Bed-Stuy, there was that edge where, okay, I kind of got to put on this, this front, this, you know, walk. I got to watch my back. And I thought I had to do that here. And uh, I remember the first time I went out to uh, a 7-Eleven, which are all over the place here, by the way, at four in the morning. And I felt like I had to uh, do that. And there were people out there, uh, there's these motorcycle taxi guys, and they just hang out all times, times a day and night. And uh, this guy, he just, he sees me coming, he goes, hello! You know, very, just like, you know, very, very friendly. And it was like, all the weight that I was carrying around from, from I would say, in America, I just kind of slipped off my back. And I, I've had that vibe here since then it's it's very very welcoming towards uh i'll say like you know white foreigners I'm, I'm white privilege here is huge uh just because they they see you as somebody who's a guest in their in their country and they want to make a good impression uh now going back to america it was kind of like okay i gotta i kind of got to put this 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 look on again i kind of got to feel that okay it's not you know not everybody's trying to be my best friend. Not everybody's going to smile at me. And, uh, and what I noticed more than anything was that nobody paid any attention. It was like, yeah, you're just another dude on the street, which is absolutely correct. <laughs> you know, but it yeah. was, it was, I had to, a thing that I had to mentally switch, you know, to deal with. Okay. Yeah, that's right. How many kids are you teaching at a given day? Okay. Well, I teach three-year-olds, so I have a morning class and an afternoon class. I teach English and people always say, well, what do you teach? And I'd say, I teach three-year-olds because yes, I'm teaching English, but I'm, I'm actually just teaching getting along with your friends, being comfortable at school. Most of these kids have never been in a school situation before. And oftentimes I'm the first white person that they've ever dealt with. So that can be kind of terrifying. A lot of them are like, you know, don't even have much experience with males. So coming in there as you know the big falang male teacher who's you know um it can be a bit intimidating and i i'm you know very self-aware of that but uh my job really is to make sure that they're they're comfortable first you know it's they're they're basically in preschool we call it k1 kindergarten one but yeah i always tell people yes i teach english but 
really my my job is to entertain and to make sure that the values of uh, respect and um, and happiness are are kind of instilled in their day to day experience. You know, you are teaching self awareness to three year olds. That's really what you're doing, because you're giving yeah. them a culture shock that they wouldn't have had otherwise, and showing them that it's okay. Oh, I, and I sometimes it goes on for months before you know there. I've had students that will literally cry, literally cry every time I walk into the class, and it's you know nothing that I've ever personally done to them, and so I don't you know I, it's hard, but I, I I have to not take it personally because I know it's just their natural reaction to something that's different or something that they're you know unfamiliar with, so. Basically, what I'm, what I try to do is, I try to just, you know, I don't want to pressure them, but I have to let them know that they're safe, no matter what. When I come in there, my job is to make sure that they feel comfortable because, as the year goes on, you know, I, 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 um, I set up a routine for them so that they feel when I come in, they're prepared, they know what's going on. What I want to do is be able to have a class that at the end of the year. They're able to say hello to people. They're able to feel comfortable in school because if they're not comfortable at school, they're not gonna learn anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and and I I had that experience when I was in kindergarten. Uh, it was it was a different place. It was something that I just didn't like to be moved. I didn't like my situation to change. So every morning when I would go into school, it was a temper tantrum. I don't want to go in. I don't want to go in. Every time when I had to leave, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. So I, I connect very well with these kids. I know, you know, I know what they're going through. But yeah, like back, what, back to your question was my my classes. I have a morning class and an afternoon class. There, uh, because it's a bilingual school, they'll have English in the morning and then Thai in the afternoon, and then the next day it'll switch. So I have K11 and K12. Uh, those are the lower slashes of the K1s, and um, I have about 25 students in each class, but I've been at this school now for seven years, so the amount of students who I've met is a little bit mind-blowing even when I think about it, how many names and people I've met over this time. Uh, the students that I first taught when I got here are now 10 years old. And I see them, and I can have full conversations with them, which is, you know, like you, they might not have even been talking when they were in my class, you know, okay. yeah, partially because at three years old, people people uh, really progress at different rates. Mm -hmm. So I have students that even though they're they understand English and they're comfortable, you know, participating in group things when it comes to individual one-on-one -on -one contact, there's they're pretty much nonverbal. And that'll happen, this, the Thai teachers will have the same situation. Now in each class I have, uh, I don't wanna make it sound like I'm the only one in there. It's me and usually three to four Thai uh, female teachers. And they're the biggest, the biggest help as far as, I should say everything, because if it weren't for, if it weren't for those teachers, there's a couple teachers in particular that if it weren't for them, I'm not sure if I would still be in Thailand because my experience was so good working with these people 
that I, I didn't want to give it up. I, I wouldn't have given it up for anything. Uh, and I still work with those, those same core people today. And it's the kind of thing now where uh, they teach me, I teach them. You know, we learn from each other every day. Even though it's been so long, we still uh, are able to uh, take things from uh, each other's classes. You know, I see how they work with the students. They see how I work with the students. It really makes it kind of one cohesive class when we both know each other's routines and can uh, work off of each other. You're teaching English to three-year-olds in Thailand. Right. The first time that I was ever exposed to a second language in school in New York was the first day of sixth grade when I was 11 years old. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about uh, public schools in America not offering a second language for the most part? And I could be wrong, and if I am and someone wants to correct me, I apologize. But how do you feel about America's lack of teaching a second language to kids at a young age, whereas these kids are picking up English at such a young age that by the time, like you're saying, they're 10, they're fully bilingual, you know, and they're yeah. always going to be fully bilingual because it was taught to them at such a young age and they're using it repeatedly. Yeah, Dave, you're, you're totally right. It's, it's about exposure. Um, I myself, I wasn't exposed to uh, any other languages uh, beyond just hearing them on the street. Um, until high school when I was forced to take a second language and at that point I was you know yeah I'm a high school student so how much do I really care about you know learning another language when it's just for a class or just for a grade uh, and I, I did horrible and I, I really thought that okay well maybe I'm not I'm just not good at languages you know maybe it's just not my thing and so I even had that mentality coming over to Thailand that you know, uh, it'll, it'll be tough for me to pick up the language. I'm not good at languages. But when you're exposed to something every day uh, and when it becomes just so familiar, it, you pick it up. Um, the students at their, at their age, you know, they're like little sponges because what I get them to do is just repeat. Uh, repeat after me, respond to me, and then the next step from there is getting them to interact with each other using that language, um, which was something that help me actually learn more Thai because as I'm teaching them uh, English, they were responding to me in Thai. They're giving me, uh, you know, words of things that they like. Uh, for example, if I'm asking, what's your favorite animal? What's your favorite food? They'll tell me in Thai and I have to kind of rely on those Thai teachers to say, oh, well, what is this? Or, you know, what is that? One thing that came in very, very handy with teaching these students was my illustration degree. To be able to draw and you know use my drawing for communication it was phenomenal uh, and it still is but the students really as much as I'm giving them each day they're they're giving it back to me and just allowing me to hear things that maybe I wouldn't necessarily hear otherwise in America we we focus on English as the world language and in general we see the world as responding to America, as opposed to being a part of the world. Here, they are very, very accepting of uh, lots of other cultures. They're totally infatuated with American, uh, English, and Japanese, and Korean culture, just as far as entertainment and everything goes. But on the street, 
the signs are in English. You know, there's there's things all over that are in different language. So, you know, the only time that we might see that is if we go to Chinatown or uh, something like that. And here in in Bangkok, they have a huge Chinatown where all the signs are in Chinese. And there's a large Chinese-speaking population. There's a large Japanese-speaking population, and most people have at least a basic grasp of English language. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Nice to meet you. That kind of stuff, and it really, it makes a huge difference just as far as communication and uh, being aware of what's going on around you. I think we would both agree that. Being able to communicate in multiple languages helps break down walls and oh yeah, disassociate the fears that we might have with each other if culturally we are different. Everybody is much more the same than we realize. We will all sleep, eat, we all enjoy things. We all have a lot more in common than we sometimes think. And you're also uh-huh. getting an education in Thai culture from kids that are so young that the cultural education that you're getting is pure. It's from a kid's point of view, so it's not tainted with expectations or fears in the way that an adult would be fearful of something. A kid is so much more pure in its in its. You know what? They have the, they have their own bag of fears, and it really is the same thing that a three year old in America is going to be dealing with. They're dealing with where is my mother? They're dealing with who are these other people around me? They're dealing with I'm sick and I'm I don't know how to explain that. I've had kids that are they kind of freeze up because they don't know one language or the other how to explain how they feel. They don't even know how to tell me what they did yesterday if they can even remember it. So it's like, what what's important to them is like you said, very pure. It's not a long list, and it's really the necessities. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I feel sick. Where's my mom? <laughs> it's like, you know, those are the things that I've had to deal with. And language. One of the first things that I learned from my students was, I have to pee, <laughs> and I learned the hard way because a kid peed on the floor while I was giving him a, a one-on-one exam, you know, and he's telling me I have to go to the bathroom, I have to go to the bathroom, and I'm like, please just write letter C, just write letter C, and no, then there's a big puddle there, and I go, oh, he was saying this, what is this, and they go, oh, it means I have to, I have to go to the bathroom, and I go, okay. Gotta learn that one. So now that's, you know, that's when people come over here, one of the first things I tell them is, here's how you say, where's the bathroom? Because I know that's one of our things that everybody has to do, you know? <laughs> you know, we all gotta eat. Like you said, we all gotta eat, we all gotta sleep, we all gotta use the bathroom. Right. Things that are basic in, in human life, not even culture, you know? We just have to do these things. And if you can learn to communicate those things in a different language, in a different space, in a different culture, Like you're probably going to be able to get by. Mm-hmm. Are you able to um, speak Thai fluently? Fluently, I would definitely not. Can I have a full conversation with people? Absolutely. Uh, and it stems from, uh, luckily for me, people want to talk to me. You know, I get into a taxi and they start firing away questions, and that's been great for me because usually they're asking me in Thai. Every once in a while, you'll get somebody who knows. A bit more English, and they want to practice their English, and you know sometimes, you know you got to go like, oh, okay, because it's it is tougher to understand somebody if they're using broken language. But then, and we talked about this earlier, looking at the bright side of things. Actually, they're just trying to improve themselves, and if I can help them do that, like by having a short conversation, then I'm more than happy to now 
Uh, it just becomes one of those things though because I learn from them, they learn from me, and there's things that they ask me that I don't know, and then they'll be able to describe just a little bit, you know, if they're asking me about the weather or something like that, and I don't know these words, and they go, oh, 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 weather, and I go, oh, oh, okay, and I can, you know, kind of work through it, work through the communication, and if if everybody really tried to do that more often, just to just to put themselves out there a little bit more, and then try to communicate with the people that are around them, this, you know, people would would realize like you said there the differences are pretty minute now you know I can say there were a few things that took me a little bit of time to get used to after moving over here okay um, one of those things was the Thai lifestyle is very relaxed there's not a great urgency uh, for what for being on time if you're if you're trying to meet somebody for something that's familiar it can be a bit different for work but if you're going out to meet somebody, it's like a very wide margin of, of the time from you say when you say to when you might actually be there. The concept of efficiency from Bangkok compared to New York. Now, New York being one of like the quickest moving places in the world. And if you are not with the program, it's like, get out of my way. Here, there's a saying they have called my uh, Lai, which is means basically like, no problem, it's okay. It'll get done eventually. It'll it'll happen, uh, and patience is like one of the biggest virtues that I've learned from Thai people. It's very very much instilled in what they do. The traffic here is almost unbearable, and if you don't have patience, you you're gonna go road rage on somebody. It's really a nice thing to be around because it kind of is now instilled in in my lifestyle. It's it's something that I've grown uh, to love. It's just waiting for things and not putting so much pressure on if it's going to happen now as long as it can happen in the future. Would you say then that the overall energy in Bangkok is a more positive and happier one than in New York City because of people are a little bit more relaxed and they don't have this trampled go 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 pace? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thailand and I'm speaking from personal experience. And like I said, being a foreigner here, a white foreigner especially, is gonna be a bit different than some other people's experience. But uh, for me, walking down the street, I'm constantly having people say hello to me and people staring at me, all I have to do is throw them a smile and it's like huge smile back. People really, they want to be nice here. I've had times where uh, I've left things in taxis where very, very expensive things and they're they're returned. You can leave things out in front of your house and not worry that somebody is going to snatch it up. Uh, I skateboard around. I tell you this. I skateboard around all the time. And when I when I just skateboard to like a 7-Eleven or something, I just lean my skateboard up outside the 7-Eleven and go inside and I can be in there for 10 minutes, come back and my skateboard is untouched. And then it's not even something that I have to think about if anybody's, you know, so it's, that's one of those things is that people don't, they don't concern themselves with other people's belongings because it's not even a thing like, oh, I can, I can get that. It's like, that's not mine. So I'm not going to worry about it. Okay. Now, I think also that I'm from New York City, you're from Philadelphia, and the energy on the East Coast, uh, the Northeastern Coast of the United States is a particular energy. I think there are definitely places in America that have a closer energy to what you're describing in Bangkok. Yeah. But I've heard I've heard things about the south, you know. Yeah. Southern hospitality is very sure. famous. Right. And uh, yeah, I think you're probably right. And 
you know what we we say all the time you're gonna find wonderful people wherever you go you're gonna find not so wonderful people wherever you go but overall here my experience has been that people are are friendly and willing to help you willing to take the time out of their day to make sure that you especially as the guest in the kingdom are able to enjoy yourself you're talking to me about being a lightning rod because you stand out in Thailand you are more of a lightning rod for attention and it's positive attention but you could also look at it negatively you could be saying to yourself god these people they just keep looking at me everywhere I go but you're not that way can you talk no, to me it's, about it's and, not be that way I would say and, and if people are smiling at you it's kind of hard to yeah. after a while to not be happy about that you know you know yeah I've had, I've had people that go like oh it can be like it can be a bit much because you're expected they feel like they're expected to uh be on you know, way and yeah just to be yeah to be on that's a good way to put it now that's your personal lifestyle choice if you want to like you know if you're not going to smile at somebody that's that's smiling towards you that's the kind of person you are what i was going to ask you i know you for it must be 11 years now yeah the way that you are with people in thailand in terms of your positivity is not anything new you were this way in college Sure. That is a, a lack of a fear of being vulnerable to a certain degree on your part because you have enough confidence in yourself to be friendly where I think generally, like we're talking about New York City, I know from my own experiences being a New Yorker, and I think Philly is probably similar in some ways, it's an insecure city because of the pace where everything is because everybody needs to hold on to what they have so dearly because it could get ripped from them. So it's going to make you less apt to be friendly to your common neighbor because you think what are they looking for from me i have to worry about my own and right you're caught up in and your own world how you said you have to worry about your own a lot of times in places like new york where where the pace of things is so fast people feel like they don't have time to worry about other people so they they actually don't you can pass by a million people in a day and only be concerned about what you have to get done I think that speaks to what I was talking about before, where people here are not such a rush. Now, you know, things are still moving around. Bangkok's a huge city and there's lots of people. And, you know, generally speaking, you can still walk down the street and not make eye contact with people. And that's totally normal. But things do go at a bit of a slower pace, especially if you're in a situation where somebody is forced to deal with you. Um, if you're in the same space as somebody or something like that. On the train in New York, you know, generally speaking, I say, I'm in my own zone. I keep to myself, not too concerned about other people. Here, it's like, especially, especially being the white foreigner, people see me and they'll be inclined to ask me a question. Hi, Sawadee Kap, how are you? That's uh, very, very common. Now, I've also, I also have friends that are Canadian Filipinos who say, you know, Thai people just assume that they're Thai. And they say, you know, they don't have the same experience because, like I said, not, not quite as much of a lightning rod. I have kids that'll walk down the street and they'll throw English at me just from what they've learned in school. Hello, how are you? And the first time that I was with my buddy who's from Canada and his family's Filipino, he goes, whoa, like, that was weird. And I go, oh, that doesn't happen to you? And he goes, no, not at all. And I go, that makes total sense. He goes, yeah. Actually, I have it more the other way where people will just come up and start talking to me in Thai. He says, I feel like sometimes like I look like the dummy because it's like, uh, I, I don't know. But, 
Yeah, people, I think people here are, I, you know, I hate to say it, but I think people here are more friendly than in America. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that if you stop and ask somebody a question in New York, that they're not going to give you the time of day, because I've had that experience too, where you ask somebody for help in New York, and they'll be more than willing to tell you the way or to point you in the right direction. I, I guess find it depends that most on people in New York are that way. If you do talk yeah. to them, they're, we're very helpful. That's the key is that, the, that initial hump to get over is that the open, to open a line of communication. It's the kind of thing like in, in New York, people don't feel like they have to because they're doing their own thing. They're going about their day. And here people initiated with me because I'm, I stand out, because I look different, because they feel like, oh, if I can interact with this person, that's an event for my day. Also, to what we're speaking about, when you talk about the friendliness of a person in Thailand to you and also the standoffishness, but then once you get over that hump, friendliness of someone in New York. And for people who aren't from New York, who think that everybody in New York is miserable or angry, it's really not <laughs> true. We're just very busy all the time because we have no choice but to be busy. But people mm -hmm. are curious in nature. You get spoken to in Thailand because people are curious. Here is someone different. I'm not judging you that you're different. I'm just noticing that you are and curious about what you know. And you know, people are asking you questions in taxis because it's in human nature to learn. And I also think to help others because you're saying like, okay, I'm in New York. I don't know how to get to the Empire State Building. If mm -hmm. I pull someone aside and say, can you tell me how to do it? I'll mm -hmm. be more than happy to let you know. I think in New York, it's like, Oh, you don't want money from me? Okay, sure, I'll be happy to help you. Because well, when people you know, stop you on the street in New York, they're asking you for something. I actually went back to visit in New York just uh, earlier this year, and twice was stopped by foreigners. I was, wearing, I was wearing my only New York hat, and twice was stopped by people from different countries who said, oh, can, you, can you tell me? And I was like, oh, the one guy I said, I'm, like, I really don't know, you know, like, it, it's been seven years since I lived in Brooklyn. He said, are you familiar with this area? And I said, no, I'm not, man. You know, like, sorry, I, I wish I could help you out. And then there was another couple who um, was from somewhere in Europe, and they said they were in the train station already, and they said, we're trying to get to here. And the situation which some people are not familiar with is that if you get on the train on one side of the street as opposed to the other side of the street, you're going to different, direction. different directions. Yeah. yeah, and you can't cross over underneath the underneath the, the ground. So uh, I told them, you know, hey, go talk to the person in the booth because you want to be going the other way. They'll, they'll message the other person across the way and say, hey, these two people are coming in and they'll let you in. I, I assured them of that because I knew it had happened to me. That was kind of nice to feel like, all right, well, good. I can, you know, I can kind of like give the city a little bit of a boost as far as foreigners feeling like, hey, this isn't such a cold-hearted place, you know. We were speaking a moment ago about vulnerability and your willingness to be vulnerable. You put yourself on a plane to Thailand. Yeah, well, you, weren't in, you didn't go by yourself. You went with Maki. Right. But then you stayed, and you have stayed, system. and I'm sorry? I had a huge support system when I came over here, to be totally honest, you know? I'm very lucky, but it wasn't until I actually was spaced from that support system to when I really started to understand what was going on in the culture and really started to grasp the language because, like we said, when you're forced to... Uh, to go out of your comfort zone uh, is when you really actually start to grow. That was a great learning experience for me. Your relationship with Maki ended at some point. And while she was your point person 
to getting to Thailand, you didn't turn around and leave immediately. You stayed and, and now you and her are on good terms and friends and you could have gone home and you could have turned around and left. It could have been overwhelming for you, but you were willing to be curious yourself. I want to ask you this. How much simpler is life for you because you're willing to be friendly and inquisitive and take risks? I know that could be a, a hard question to answer because I'm asking you to define who you are, but then compare it right. to who you're not. But you're a happy person in general. I know you to be one. Now, granted, things happen. People feel crappy about certain things. But you're more willing to be happy than to be unhappy and more willing to put yourself out there. And I'm wondering if you can describe the benefits to that in general in life, even more than you're already doing right now. As, as, happy, as happy as I am, I still, I still have my insecurities when it comes to talking to new people and things like that. When it comes to talking to people who I'm not sure how they're going to react to me. Most of the time when I do go out of that box and say, I'm just going to start a conversation with this person, it works out positively. It works out that that person is more open to whether it be offering me some kind of assistance or uh, telling me about something that I wouldn't have known about otherwise. So your question being, how, many, how often is it that my uh, friendly nature benefits me is almost 100% of the time when I've been able to make some kind of connection with somebody, just whether it be smiling or through initiating conversation, that person, whether it's I learn something from them or I get an opportunity or just make a new friend, it's like, without a doubt, it makes all the difference to be able to... Uh, approach a situation with a positive light as opposed to giving up on yourself before you've even given it a chance. We're speaking about you, an American guy living in Thailand, but these same mm -hmm. virtues, they hold true. Me as a New Yorker in New York, you, if you were living right. in Philadelphia, in, you know, I think maybe sometimes we assume in our insecure state that if we go to speak to any group of strangers, 95% of the time, they're going to be unwelcoming and make you feel like a jerk when really 95% of the time they'll be very welcoming. And the other 5% right. of the time will be so infrequent that when it happens, you won't take it personally. You'll be like, I guess that guy was having a bad day or wow. Okay. Right. I, I'll see you later. You know, <laughs> that's, that's absolutely true. James, when I've been able to do that, uh, the opportunities here that have opened themselves up because I'm a foreigner and because I have different experiences than the people around me, have been huge. I do, I do a lot of things on the side, for example, the emceeing events and things like that. Now, being an emcee growing up in Philly and even performing in New York, where it's a common thing, where you know people have been exposed to hip-hop their whole life. Here, it's, it's not so common. You don't have um, your average freestyler that'll just be able to like step onto a mic, whereas in New York, I've met through doing through doing it, met so many people that are like have similar experiences and are awesome at at you know hopping on a mic and and rapping oh, or rhyming yeah, or whatever right. it might be. And uh, here it's like kind of few and far between. There's there's a bit of a small culture that surrounds real like kind of old school hip hop and things like that. And uh, through people hearing me and through me opening up and actually letting people hear what I do. I've gotten offers to uh, do voiceovers. I've gotten offers to host events, things that really I would have never 
thought were possible in my situation in the States, only because whether it's the competition or that people are just not exposed to it. When I have been able to show people what I'm, what I'm capable of in a, in a manner where I'm not so concerned about it is really when it's able to uh, benefit me and give me new opportunities. I could tell you the first job that I had in Thailand actually before I became a teacher was emceeing. And that was purely by chance. I was at a basketball court, you know, playing with a bunch of guys. And I, I started beatboxing as I do just, you know, out of nowhere. And one of the guys said, oh, are you an MC?" I said, oh, yeah, you know, I rap, you know. And to me, MC is like, yeah, do you rap? Do you freestyle or whatever? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do that. And he's like, okay, you should come try out at my club. And I was like, all right, what do you want me to do, you know? And he was like, oh, you know, just like, yo, yo, okay, everybody. Oh, he meant party. like a true MC as a master like, of ceremonies. like Master of ceremonies. And I was like, yeah, okay, I guess I can do that. And so he's like, all right, cool. Like, hop on my motorcycle and we'll go over. It's just 10 minutes away. So I went over there and uh, they said, okay, here's, here's the mic and stuff. And he goes, yeah, yeah, just like show them. So I was like, yo, everybody put your hands up now. Come on, everybody get up and get that. You know, it was like basic, basic stuff. And they're like, great, we like that. Can you come on Fridays and Saturdays from eight to three and we'll give you basically 15 bucks and you can drink as much as you want. <laughs> That's awesome though. And I was on vacation, so I was like, that sounds like a great deal, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, sure, I'll come and like hang out. And, and that, was a, that was a fun experience because I got to meet a lot of people that, of course, I wouldn't have had the experience of meeting otherwise. That's one of those things that like, oh, people would come up and talk to me. They don't know me, but they know that I'm not from there. That was one of those first experiences that I had that made me say, you know what, Thai people, they're really good hearted. They, they just kind of want to open themselves up to new experiences and see what's going on in the world. Being just out there and, and letting it flow as opposed to trying to force the issue or trying to plan for something, it worked out very well here. And the funny thing is that I think sometimes we assume that putting ourselves out there is incredibly difficult. But I think based on what you're saying, you would agree that not putting yourself out there takes more effort than putting yourself out there at the end of the day, because putting yourself out there is just letting the true you come through and wherever the avenues lead, be they emceeing, be they, you know, being an illustrator, which you went to school for, or skateboard culture, hip hop culture, teaching three-year-olds, you're just being Ian and letting the world revolve around you in the way that it's going to happen. Yeah, no, it's, it is, you're right. It's, it's very easy to say like, Oh, I can't do that. Or, oh, no, that's not for me. And I'm, to be honest, I still do that today. There's times when I go like, oh, well, that's not necessarily what I do, but oh, I guess I can try it. And uh, it tends to work out. I have, um, I hadn't done a lot of illustration when I, you know, the first couple years that I was here. And, um, and then a friend of mine moved to the country and uh, we were doing stuff. And I started to use my, um, my illustration skills a little bit more with in relation to uh, the MC gigs, things like that, setting up events and uh, creating flyers and things like that. And uh, so my friend would tell other people, oh yeah, he does graphic design. He can use Illustrator. He knows what's going on with that stuff. And they would go, oh yeah, okay. Like, well, I got this thing that I'm working on. Uh, would you be interested? And, you know, my first inclination was to go like, well, I don't necessarily, I haven't done much, you know, and you want to, you want to, 
I don't want to sell myself short, but like that's what I was doing. And, uh, and so I started to take that, the approach that, you know what, throw it my way, I'll try it. If it doesn't work out or it's not what you're looking for, that's fine. I'll learn something from it. I'll get to use some skills that I'm maybe not so sharp on. And um, that actually led to me doing the logo design and, um, and overall like graphic design for a restaurant that um, a friend of mine set up in uh, northern Thailand, um, which was something that I would have never dreamed about, even coming out of school, designing everything for a restaurant. To be able to go to a city and see something that I've done on the sign in front of a successful business, you know, very, very gratifying, I can say that. What are you currently doing with your free time besides teaching? I know that you say you also tutor, so while your days are basically 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., you're also doing some tutoring on the side. Are you still emceeing? Are you still illustrating? I know that you, you know, you're, you've been involved in hip-hop culture urban culture, music culture, for as long as I know you, what are you doing currently? Currently, I'm actually still emceeing. I would probably say I emcee less just because I'm tutoring more. It's pretty lucrative and I'm saving up for a wedding. So that's kind of the avenue that I've been going out mostly. But uh, but yeah, I still emcee. I still get a chance to go out to the one of the hip hop hubs here and, and do freestyle nights, which is always nice to kind of get out there and just have fun with it. And then the graphic design stuff, I still get jobs. People throw me things. They say, oh, I need a logo, uh, whether it's for um, a group, a band, or my clothing company, or this or that, because people, people are now aware that I'm able to do that stuff. And so it's really more of a timing issue for me. It's like, oh, do I have time to do that? And I let people know here, like, well, I don't have a lot of time, but I'd like to do that. And it seems, like I said with the culture, that they go, okay, when you have time, get to it. Um, I do have people that also like send me beats and stuff like that, and they say, "Hey, if you can if you can write something for this, if you feel you know uh, a vibe off of it, please record something." I have a little recording studio in my house, which is an excellent little getaway sometimes to just be able to go put down some verses and things like that. And I feel privileged that I have the studio space to do artwork and to do set music recording, and I'm able to invite people into this space and and to do it with me. So usually, yeah, for, for my extra time when I feel like being creative, there's, there's that kind of stuff. But other than that, you know, spending time with my friends. I just went wakeboarding yesterday, something that's available here, you know, not too expensive and can go out for the day and uh, hit the water. And that's something that I never kind of expected myself to do. But yeah, there's, there's always opportunities out here. There's things that you might not expect, but people will help you find just because there's so many different interests and so many different opportunities. In speaking about opportunities, you mentioned that you are planning a wedding. You're getting married in January. Your fiance, oh, yeah. Gypsy, had you stayed in New York, you would have never met her. That yep. would have been impossible. So That's right. you are potentially, I should hope, I think she should hope too, going to be spending the rest of your life with someone, married to someone that, because you're willing to take a risk, has brought untold happiness to your life because of that. Yeah. Now, granted, you could have uh, obviously met someone in New York and, of course, like all of your experiences. Yeah, you never know how something. things might go, but you know right. what? I, I still say to people, okay, yeah, I took that opportunity to come out here and I got the opportunity to come out here and things didn't work out necessarily the way that I had thought. You know, I'm lucky enough and uh, it worked out well enough that Maki and I has, still have a nice relationship and, and get along well and things like that. The fact that it was 
that relationship that brought me out here, I can be nothing but forever grateful for that opportunity because my life is forever changed because, you know, I found things that I never thought that I could ever find. You know, I thought, I thought things that, okay, I, I'd never be able to do that. I'll never be able to do this. You know, I never knew that I would meet somebody like this. I never knew that I would be able to have this situation in my life. And uh, yeah, I mean, now my life is very, very excellent. It's, it's kind of, I feel a bit guilty sometimes when people say like, oh, how are things? And I'm like, everything is really, really great. I have a beautiful, amazing, intelligent fiance. I got a great dog that welcomes me every time I come home. I'm able to do artwork and I'm able to get gratification out of my day job, uh, which not everybody in this world is able to do. I still have a great social life. Things, there's always things happening in Thailand. You know, there's really no shortage of, uh, of happiness to be had. So I, I do my best to make sure that every day is I'm living up to the potential that it can be because I know how lucky I am to be in this situation. And gratitude and grace is a characteristic one of self-awareness, but which you obviously have, and that's a fantastic quality. But also when you're saying, I feel guilty sometimes about telling people how good things are, but they need to know, and there's a common thread on all of these interviews that I do, the reason why things are going well for you is because you're willing to put yourself out there. When you put yourself out there, nobody is going to bat a thousand. Every break is not going to go your way. But if you learn something from it, you'll find happiness. I interviewed Breaking Walls episode 10 was with, I don't know if you know him, Javen Ivy, And we were Red talking Red. about happiness. And he's an animator. He lives in Portland. He said, my biggest lesson that I've been trying to tell myself is that happiness starts right now. It's not down the road somewhere if I get to it. No, it's right now. This is the That's only moment in my life that I'm currently living and I should be happy with it. Yep, the best time to be happy is now. Like the best time for you to just look at your life and say, what do I actually have is in the moment to say like, okay, here's, here's where I am because we're, like you said, nobody's ever gonna be winning all the time. There's always gonna be things that we're stressed about, but you can appreciate the things that you do have Especially if that is, if it might just be your health, you know, but you got to take it for what it is and not take it for granted because it's worth something. It really is. There's so many avenues that you can, you can take once you accept that your situation is not a stick in the mud. We're always moving. There's always people around us. You can always learn something or talk to somebody or even get assistance from, from somebody who you might have never even had a conversation with yet. There might be somebody that you, that you haven't met today that will change your life tomorrow. And really the, the lesson that we can all take is that we don't know, but we got to put ourselves out there. Yeah. Sorry, I jumped in there because I... No, because you know, that's right. <laughs> now, you know, we all, get, we all get stuck every once in a while, but you know, it's, it's important to remember, like, if you're, if you're feeling like you don't necessarily know where to go, just keep walking because you're going to hit something or something's going to hit you and that'll change your circumstance and hopefully it'll push you in the right direction. Absolutely. Yes. It's so important in life to just go find out. Like you're saying, go find out. How do you know? I can sit here and theorize with you a million things, but if you never actually get up and do them, then it really wasn't about anything at the end of the day. You know, so like, you know what? I, I, have to, uh, I have this happen with my students because they're so young that their experiences are very limited. 
a lot of what I do is expose them to things. And I, I talk to parents and I say, I tell them about all types of things that I don't necessarily need them to memorize or I don't expect them to even to even remember. But the idea will be there so that if they run into it again, they'll say, this seems familiar or this is something that I've seen before. And the other thing that I try and impress on the students, especially the, the ones that are a bit more grown, is the idea where I say, do you like this? And they go, no. And I say, well, have you tried it? And they go, no. I say, well, how do you, how do you know that you don't like it yet? You should try everything. And this is still something that I, I have to deal with in my own life is like, try everything. Because even if you're looking at something and it says, it, you know, it looks like, uh, I am really don't think that I'm going to enjoy that. Uh, you know, you don't have to try everything, but you have to, you have to give yourself a taste. You have to let yourself be willing to step out of your boundary box a little bit and say, let me get this experience so that even if I don't like it, then I know that I don't like it. And if I And you do can like also it, understand why you don't like it. That's right. Yeah. And and you know, they say ignorance is bliss, but really ignorance is ignorance. If you're <laughs> if you're if you're not keen to something, especially that you've refused to try, then you're not doing yourself any favors. Would you have any advice for somebody if they wanted to specifically move to Thailand from it could be America, but it could be somewhere else. Sure. I'm, I'm assuming that incoming immigrants are dealt with the same regardless of where they're coming from. Well, I'll tell you what. We have a, a mutual friend who just moved out here. Ethan uh, Walker? Are you, are you referencing Ethan? That's Ethan Walker. And, uh, you know, I, I hope he doesn't mind me, me sharing his story a little bit. But No, let's Ethan, give him a big shout-out. Shout-out to E. Walker. Uh, he's, he said the situation that he was in was basically like, He's at a job that he thought was okay, uh, but he knew he really wasn't trying to do it for much longer and that he needed a change of pace. And I, I put out a message uh, just on Facebook saying, my, my job is hiring and we desperately need people, you know, like within the month, does anybody want to move to Thailand? And a, a, another friend of mine who had worked here uh, knew, knew the situation and uh, and made a comment. He said, you know, basically, does anybody want to move here in two weeks? And Ethan posted, he said, I want to move there in two weeks. And so I said, great. So I shot him all the information. Um, he, he reached out to the people that would do the hiring. And it was kind of a long shot because, like all of us, I guess, we all have art degrees. We don't have education degrees. Right. And so, of course, the school first people that they look for are people who have experience with education, have a background in education. And there were two people that they hired uh, previous to Ethan. One of them had a family issue and had to leave. The second came to the school, saw it, didn't like it, left Thailand. Enter Ethan, we need you to come ASAP. Perfect timing for him. He said, okay, I'm there. And what he said to me is that his life has pretty much done a 180 from where he thought it was headed. Uh, you know, he said he's, he's got a great lady. He's got a, a great place. He's got a great job. And he said, you know, it really came down to that one choice of being, do I want to go now? You know, can I make this life change right now? And yeah, sometimes it takes dropping everything that you have and jumping into another pool in order to figure that out. Uh, but that was a situation that worked out for, well for him. Now, 
funny enough, when he arrived here, I was in America uh, attending a wedding in California, and he was coming from California. So he came here knowing nobody except for the people that I was familiar with, and, uh, and people helped him out, uh, pointed him in the right direction for stuff, you know, gave him all the tips that he needed, and the school handled most of the paperwork and things like that. So he said he had a pretty smooth transition, and uh, it was because people spent time to make sure that he was comfortable, even though they didn't know him. Just because they were people who were either caring or had been through the same situation, where they say, okay, here's some tips, here's what you need to know, da 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 da, da. So my tip for anybody who's thinking about moving to Thailand or just another country in general for whether it be work or if you don't know, like when I got here, would be be open. If you're looking for a position in another country, be prepared for some things to not be comfortable right away. And be prepared for it to be funny because it's going to be like, hey, you know, I didn't expect it and you just got to roll with it sometimes and see how things work out because the road could be bumpy, but it might be a lot smoother down the way. In Thailand specifically, my tip would be basically try to talk to people and get their experiences because people are willing to help you out, like we touched on before. If you think that 95% of the people are not going to want to talk to you, you're probably 100% wrong. It impresses on me to mention that when you do things like this, like put yourself completely out there, it's humbling in that you have to ask others for help which is one of the most difficult things without having done that before that we can do. But it's also amazing to me from my own experiences, from the experiences that you're telling me about yourself, from our friend, Ethan, how much grace you're taught when you realize that people care and they do care about you and they care about me too. You just have to ask them sometimes to care and they'll be willing to. If you ask me to care, I would say, sure. Yeah, it could be hard to admit to yourself that you don't know or that you don't have the answer. Or that you're in a situation where you are really just clueless, you know, and you need to ask somebody. Sometimes the only person around is somebody who doesn't have great communication in your language. But you figure out a way. Yeah. Try anyway. When we admit to ourselves that we don't have the answer, it's in human nature to go, okay, you're admitting you don't have the answer. Now go find out what the answer is. Nobody wants to walk through life with no answers. That's who wants to be clueless. It's only that we lie to ourselves and say that we have the answers. Like you were mentioning before we went on air about the Joe Rogan stand-up where he said, you know, people are like, hey, do you know what's going on? Yeah, I know what's going on. Oh, yeah, me too. I know what's going on too. And nobody knows what's going on. But we know some of what's going on. Everybody has their own experiences. And like that's why I said sometimes it's hard to admit that you actually don't know what's going on. Uh, but there's all, that's why there's other people in this world so that we can either – both look at each other and say, we don't know what's going on. Let's stick together and find somebody who does. Or ask somebody and they go, yep, I have experience with that. I, I've been where you are now and I can help you. I used to work uh, with my dad. He's a uh, furniture refinisher and uh, he was a drawing professor as well. When I would work with him, he instilled a lot of values in just what it means to be working for somebody, especially somebody who's got more knowledge than you. And one of the things that he said was, if you're working for or with somebody and you find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do next, ask. 
He said, somebody, they'll, they'll either say, you know what? I'm not sure. Let's go ask this person. Or they're going to say, okay, here's what you can do. And then you're in a way better position than you were a couple minutes prior because then you become that person. You become that person that can say, oh, I can help you with that because I now have that experience. It's true. Knowledge is only passed down through questions. Yeah, sometimes you got to be that person to ask the question to yourself and yeah. find the answer by yourself. That's the wonderful thing about the internet now is that the answers are usually posted on there by people who've had that question already. How far down the road, I know you're getting married in January. I know we spoke about off air about desire to be in Thailand versus balancing a desire to be in America or somewhere else even. How mm-hmm. far down the road are you currently looking? I know you're somebody who is able to stay present and, and keep yourself at Sunday, August 30th for as long as you possibly can. But how far down the road do you look? How far I look can be 50 years. What I plan for is probably two, when I, where I have an, a, a general outline. Five years, I think, is a bit stretching it because uh, in a year, things can totally change. You can get an opportunity that you never thought you were going to come across. Uh, so I say, I, for me, personally, two years is, a, is about where I plan it out to say, okay, here's what I want to start planning for. Uh, what do I actually plan for? A week. I, I could say, I, I should say, I actually, I do do further than that. But like I said, things change. I actually, I, one of the things that I do here is a trivia night. I just decided to start a trivia night because people seemed interested in it. And I said, all right, well, you know, I could probably find a place that'd be willing to host 20 people and, and have that business for the night. And I did. I found a bar and I said, hey, I'd like to do a trivia night here. They said, what do you want from us? I said, let me do it and electricity. And they said, okay. So I'd done multiple of those and uh, I planned one. And day before, I get a fever three-day fever that lasts, you know, so hated to do it. But the day of the event, I said, you know what, I can't do it. I can't even get out of bed. So I felt bad, but they were 100% understanding. They said, yeah, it's your health. But that was the kind of thing where it's like, well, I had planned this far a month in advance. Turned out the day before that wasn't able to happen. Now, luckily, I'm, I have a nice relationship with them. And I said, well, I'd like to do it in the future and I'll let you know when I can. And uh, they're more than accommodating, but, you know, that's the kind of thing. It's like, well, yeah, you can plan and you can plan and you can plan, but be ready for things to go haywire. And when they do, don't stress out. Don't throw a fit. You just got to kind of keep on stepping. That Thai culture that they've taught that's you. That's exactly now. right. This is, really? And that's one of those things. It's things. Things happen all the time here where they, okay, here's, here's what's going on. Da, 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 da. Oh, actually, there was a communication issue. That's not happening anymore. I know you need to make a new lesson plan or you weren't you know, ready for this. Okay, you know what? So now for me as a teacher, I can go into the classroom with a marker and literally teach an entire lesson just off a whim, off of you know, what's in the back of my head. Right. So that's, because that's something that I've grown into. Sure. Well, it is experience, but it's also, like you said, be open. If you're open, yeah. things don't need to be set in stone. You we have to roll with punches in life. There's no way around it. Things are going to happen. That's the only fact. The emotion behind it and how we can approach it, that's up to us, but that things will happen is the only fact. Plan for the best, be prepared for the worst. Right, yeah. And maybe that worst 
isn't as bad as you thought it was in the first place, you know, because you were That's open right. to what it could be. Yeah, so I was like, okay, I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> do you have anything that you want to plug? I would encourage people to go check out uh, my hip-hop group, GED, gednation.com. Uh, okay. We're on Facebook, too. A lot of rhymes about state of the world, whether it's uh, politics or just things that are going on in society. Uh, we try to stay positive and try to try to breathe some kind of honesty into hip hop. That's one thing I'd encourage people to go listen to, especially if you're interested in the kind of stuff that I, I say in my rhymes. Other than that, just explore. Just keep on uh, checking out the rest of the world. If people wanted to get in touch with you, is there a way that you'd want people to reach out to you that's not invasive but also inviting at the same time? Facebook, I would say. I LinkedIn, mean, Facebook, Twitter? Like, uh, LinkedIn is not a thing that I do anymore, but uh, if anybody wants to uh, ask me any questions, Facebook is, uh, is always there. Um, I'm always happy to answer questions if people have anything about Thailand or, or things like that. I'm not the most well-traveled person, but I am somebody that might be able to link you up with somebody who is. You know, so if anybody has questions about something that they've heard on this uh, and feels like they need to get in contact with me, Facebook, Ian Russell. My Facebook for my hip hop is uh, it's Iman Yo, and my Facebook itself is it's Iman, I T S E M O N, and I T S E M O N Y O. So, yeah, go over there and check out my page. If you like it, hit a like. If you have a question, send me a question. I'm, I'm happy to answer anything that uh, people are curious about. Do you have any closing remarks or things you wanted to say and haven't had a chance to? You know, we touched on a lot of stuff, and uh, I think the overall was um, be happy in the moment. Try and find the glimmer of sunshine, even if you think things are pretty cloudy, because your happiness might change somebody else's day. Fantastic. Thank you, Ian. It was a pleasure. Thank you, James. It's been great. There were so many helpful nuggets in that conversation with Ian. Obviously, I go back and I edit these podcasts for time and for dead air and things like that, and there was so little of it in this conversation. He's a man with confidence, and I've known him for 11 years now, and he is the kind of guy who does bring out the best in people around him just by being himself. He was always the center in a party without meaning to be the center in a party, but he was also okay with hanging out on the wall. He's the kind of guy who can enjoy his own birthday and can enjoy your birthday as well. The point I'm trying to make is that as you hear his tone and the things that he's about in the conversation that we just had, you can tell that he's willing to put himself out there. And look at all of the good things that have happened in his life because he was willing to put himself out there. I'd like to thank you, Ian, for willing to be a guest on this podcast and be episode number 23 on Breaking Walls. Bangkok is 11 hours in front of New York. We recorded this conversation early on a Sunday morning a few weeks ago, and it was late at night for him. I'd like to tell you, Ian, that seeing your face and getting to talk with you off air and also on air for this conversation was great. I miss you. I miss spending time with you. Brings back those college memories that were a lot of fun. I can tell you a funny story that Ian, myself, and a few of my other friends... We threw a party on leap year 2008 in college that we jokingly called a party so big it could only happen once every four years. Now, that corniness aside, there was a little thing there that happened during the planning of this party. At some point, 
And this was a big party. We charged admission. We had all kinds of alcohol. Things were probably going on that I can't mention legally on air. But before the party, a few weeks before when we were planning it, he and I were talking. We were going over all the details. And he looked at me and he said, Scully, I got to tell you, I just, I can't throw a bad party. I can't have that on my conscience. And I started laughing because it felt great to see a counterpoint like that in somebody else. And I said to him, dude, me too. I, I just, this has to be good. And the reason why I bring that up is because in life you can do things poorly or you could try to do them well. And when you try to do them well, it always feels good when they work out. And even when they fail, if you leave nothing on the table, then you are going to be proud of yourself. Don't fear judgment. If you're going to move to a place like Thailand, like Ian did, how can you fear judgment? Because if you did, where would you get? So, while I say this with passion in my voice, you should also know that I've got a smile on my face because it's the middle of September, the seasons are changing, we're at another point in life where we can have an excuse to grow because things around us evolve and it's important to have those markers because you're going to throw on a leather jacket, you're going to wear a flannel shirt, ladies, you're going to break out different kinds of boots that you weren't able to wear in the summer and you're going to be excited to do it. So remember... Keep getting out there, guys. Keep breaking those walls. My name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls episode number 23. I'm going to see you guys in 10 short days. You'll see another podcast drop on September 20th, and I can guarantee you're going to like it as well. So stay tuned for more great things happening from the wall breakers. And like I said a moment ago, keep getting out there. Keep breaking those walls, guys. You know I love you. My name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls episode number 23. And until next time, like Rocco always said, I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much. 